for all of us who think the fridge is too far away from the couch. Imagine if you have to ride a bicycle for 3,000 miles to get there. This is Blind Sanity. Hello everyone, this is Fabrice. Welcome back to a new episode of Blind Sanity for the week of April 21st, 2023. We're glad to have you here. Today is a special episode with a very special and exceptional guest, actually. His name is Dave Wilkinson. He is planning on crossing the country next year from the West Coast to the East Coast on a tandem bike. 3,000 miles, guys. 3,000 miles in 12 days. This is actually going to be a two-part interview. In this week's episode, we're going to talk about Dave's personal life and how he got where he is right now. And then next week, we'll talk a little bit more about the training and the technicality behind his journey uh, for next year. Um, we're hoping to get some clue and a few tips uh, on how to do that ourselves. Maybe not 3,000 miles, but you know what I mean, taking our cycle outdoor for a little while, for a little stroll. I'm sure that he has a lot of tips that can, that can be very useful to all of us who um, are getting a little tired of using a stationary bike at the gym. That's it. Uh, we're going to start right away with the first part of our interview, just after a quick message from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Shieldwear, the shielded underwear for the blind. If you're like me and you're getting tired of being stabbed in the belly by your wet cane every time you try to have a walk in the park, then Shieldway is for you. They have a collection of t-shirts made of stainless steel, chrome, and aluminum alloy. They're very lightweight uh, and comfortable to wear, corrosion-free. They weigh around 95 pounds per t-shirt. That's literally nothing. They can be washed with your dishes in the dishwasher, and they are covered by a, an unlimited uh, warranty. If you need more information, uh, head over to www.blindsanity.com slash shieldwear and inquire about their latest collection of shielded bra and shielded boxer shorts. All right, we are back and we have our guest on the other side of the line, Dave Wilkinson. Dave, welcome to our show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Dave is uh, actually going to have a pretty busy uh, few months ahead of next year. Uh, we're going to keep the secret a little longer. Um, it's something that even people with no disability are uh, going to have some trouble to wrap their mind, their mind around. Uh, but first, let's talk a little bit about who you are. Uh, Dave, can you uh, give us a brief description of um, uh, who you are? Absolutely. I'm, I'm Dave Wilkinson. I live in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm married and have a son who's getting married one week from tomorrow. Great. Which is a little nerve wracking. It is great. I hope. Um, <laughs> no, she's 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 a good girl. So we're he he did well. Uh, I work as a senior digital accessibility analyst for Hilton uh, Corporate. If you have ever made a reservation in the Hilton Honors app, you have come across things that I've been involved in, and hopefully you didn't know it because if I'm doing my job well, everything is seamless and works beautifully. So Hilton, uh, the, uh, the the hotel chain, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Um, you kind of forgot the an important part. I'm I'm, I'm sorry. I don't. <laughs> I, I kind of don't like uh, going uh, going over that. But you're a guy, so it shouldn't be like a sensitive issue. What is your age? Uh, I am fifty six. Fifty six. Okay, that's pretty interesting. We'll see uh, shortly why. Uh, the uh, the interesting part is that you started in the 60s and um, there's been quite a lot of change technology-wise and uh, how people uh, are working with the disabled um, uh, over the year. And that's something that I found interesting and probably a big part of your uh, who you are today. Uh, talking about, um, well, disability, you are blind, correct? I am. I am totally blind. Can we talk can about see... um, the name of your uh, your blindness? Absolutely. I have Leber's congenital amaurosis, which is a faulty connection basically between the optic nerve and the retina. It uh, means that I see light and I see blobs that block the light. Uh, I, uh, 
I once made the mistake when a girlfriend asked me what she looked like, uh, saying that she and a tree didn't look that much uh, different, which was accurate on my part, but it did not go over well. I was I was trying to be uh, honest and straightforward, and uh, we 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 didn't make that descriptive mistake again. But yeah, oh, yeah. so I, <laughs> I I I see if something is blocking the light. I don't see color. Um, I am, am a braille reader, have been from moment one. Okay. Years ago, if letters were three or four inches tall and very dark, I could kind of make them out, and I really can't do that anymore. Uh, so it is so uh, it is congenital, which means that uh, it's probably coming uh, from uh, your mother and your dad on a recessive gene, right? That is correct, and I am the first person in my family to ever have this eye condition. Okay, uh, how many uh, so... how many of your uh, how many kids did your your parents had? My parents, I, I have. Uh, uh, two sisters and a brother. And so if you look at the odds, 25% that one of their kids would end up with uh, this eye condition and the, the math worked out perfectly and it just happened to be me. Yeah, I thought about that. It's uh, either nothing, <laughs> nothing or uh, nothing, something on both sides and then something, something you ended up with uh, with both genes. So you, you're that's, the quote unquote lucky one. That's right. That's yeah. right. Um, what do you actually see, if I may ask? There's a lot of people that uh, are listening to our show and actually are, um, don't have the, uh, the, uh, any disability with their eyes and want to know usually, you know, what do I see? So I'm asking you the question, what do you see? Do you see from both eyes? Is there one eye that is completely useless? My right eye is basically useless. Any vision I've got is out of my left eye. It's a very narrow field of vision. And I basically see contrasts. Uh, when I'm outside, I can see the difference between, say, the grass and the street. Okay. I'm not sure which is darker than the other one, but I can see that there's a difference between them. And for that matter, looking at them, I don't know which is which, but I, again, I know there's a difference. Do you see colors? I do not see colors. Okay. So this is basically, you'll you know if there's somebody in front of you or if there's nobody in front of you based on, uh, or something in front of you based on the change of contracts, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. Have you been uh, uh, diagnosed <laughs> officially? Um, have you done a gene uh, gene testing? I know that in the, uh, you were born uh, with this uh, uh, disability, and um, gene uh, testing was not available in the '60s. But have you uh, have you uh, gotten tested recently to uh, to confirm and to know which gene uh, is responsible for your disability? I yes. I don't, I don't know how we would classify recently within the last several years i'm on file somewhere at the university of iowa in the carver lab my there i forgot there's like 20 or 30 different genetic mutations of Leber's congenital amaurosis and mine is not one that is currently uh able to have anything done for it the okay. honestly i it's it's not something i've looked at in a while i have a a, a good friend who keeps me up to date on what's happening with Lieber's stuff, uh, who, who actually has twins who have Lieber's. She, she was a parent of kids I, I worked with at one point. Um, so I pretty much figure she'll tell me if there's anything I need to know about. Yeah. It's, not, it's not a crucial part of my life. I would like to be able to see better, obviously. I mean, who wouldn't? But my quality of life is awesome. And okay. I'm totally comfortable with you know, who I am and where I am at this point. Okay, perfect. Let's, uh, let's travel back in time. This um, whole uh, first part of the two-part um, series is going to focus on who you are and uh, uh, how you became what you are um, today. Uh, but first, uh, let's, before going back in time, let's jump in time. Can you um, share with uh, our listener what you're trying to do um, in uh, a little bit more than 12 months now? I will be competing next June. Uh, June of 2024 in an event called Race Across America. This is a cycling race, so it's a bike race that starts in Oceanside, California, uh, goes through 12 states and ends in Annapolis, Maryland. So you go through the Rockies, you go through the Appalachians, uh, you end up doing 170,000 vertical feet of climbing by the time it's over, and you have 12 days to complete it. Uh, so we'll, my tandem captain and I will be trying to cycle on average about 280 miles a day so that we come in 
well enough under that 12 day mark that if anything horrible happens towards the end, we can go really slow. Um, <clears> but it's a total of 3000 miles, right? It's a 3000 mile race. If we complete this, which we will, I will be the first blind person to complete this as a solo project. And what that means, uh, there was a team of blind cyclists and their tandem captains back in 2018 who did this race, but it was a, a, a team effort. So it's almost like a relay type thing. Whereas, you know, if you're going to go that many miles, you may as well experience all the pain. And uh, so we're going to do the whole thing as a, as a solo project. And this is when? This will be June of 2024. All the right. Precise dates will be announced after the 2023 race. All right. We'll talk about that uh, certainly a little later today uh, or and definitely on our next episode. Um, so there's no need to um, to probably tell you that I'm thinking what all those listeners are thinking. You are crazy. And um, <laughs> and people don't turn uh, crazy uh, overnight. And there got to be an explanation somewhere in your uh, life history. So this is where we're going to go, if you don't mind. We're going to start very, very early. Um Uh, You told me in a previous uh, discussion that um, you were born with that disease already um, uh, pretty well advanced. Uh, There's been a little um, worsening over the year, but this is pretty much you were born like that uh, from the beginning. And um, how uh, did that uh, again? uh, You're 56. So we're talking about 1965 to 1970, the mid mid to late uh, 1960s. How were you diagnosed? Is there someone that figured out something was odd with you and then they they looked into it? My mom figured out uh, about six months after I was born that I wasn't tracking things visually, that I would follow sound, that I was very interested in what was happening around me, but I was never looking at things. And so she did a, a couple of tests, including sort of sneaking up on my playpen uh, and, you know, taking toys away or drop or, or, or silently bringing them back. And I wouldn't notice until she made a noise. And at that point, she realized that there was something going on with my vision. And I went to eye doctors and other specialists uh, to try to figure out what the deal was. At that point, since my eye condition hadn't been discovered yet, uh, it was just a, it was just an unexplained birth defect, and they had no idea why I couldn't see. The okay. retina and the optic nerve didn't work, and uh, that was just going to have to do. Can and I it ask wasn't you? Until uh, I was in my twenties that I had an eye disease. Yeah, I can imagine <laughs> that. Uh, in, again, nineteen sixties, you didn't have a name. Uh, like most most diseases at the time, you know, even aging, yeah. people were saying, "Well, he died old, and now we have a name for everything." Um, yeah. Uh, a quick question on the side. Uh, can you share the um, uh, what your mother and your dad, um, where was their, uh, their, their, their job? Did they have their job or was she taking care of you? Um, um, uh, was she uh, at home? My parents both worked. My mom uh, was a teacher uh, okay. and my dad was a lawyer who uh, went on to become a, a judge uh, later on. But so my, my folks both worked uh, from as, as, as long as I can remember. And, okay. uh, you know, so this and again, one, one of the beauties of being in the late 60s, early 70s is that there was a lot more autonomy as far as, you know, kids. I mean, I had two brothers and two sisters and a brother and we had a neighborhood full of kids. And it was one of these things where you just sort of ended up in each other's houses and it was uh It it was much less structured, I think, than we probably evolved into uh, at this point. So your mother, your mother being a teacher, uh, probably uh, uh, helped a lot uh, in uh, probably a lot of the choices that she made later on, as we're going to talk about uh, right now. Uh, Yes, absolutely. So you were diagnosed early on, six months, then you went to a doctor or a bunch of doctors that say, well, he's having an eye problem and we don't know what it is, but this is what it <laughs> yeah. is. Uh, yeah. But, but uh, uh, and then th- there is that whole stage between the moment when you're six or seven months old to the moment when you go to um, elementary school. There's a few years right. here. Um, how did, uh, how did um, what happened during those years right before um, elementary school? I... Uh... I was brought up in my, na- my 
parents wanted me to be able to go to our local school district. This is in rural eastern Arkansas. Um, I mean, it was rural enough. There was a field behind my house that uh, had cotton or soybeans growing in it, depending on the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> we used to go out there and fly kites and play army and such things. But and my, my parents very much wanted me to be able to go to our local school system. This is pre-IDEA, uh, uh, pre-legal you know, access to an education, which really only started in about 1972. And so my, my mom learned Braille. She drove to Memphis several times a week, uh, which was about a 50-mile drive each way and learned braille with the idea that she would be able to produce a lot of the materials that I needed in order to go to school. Okay. And I, and I started out in a little kindergarten with a teacher who convinced through her, I, gosh, I don't know how to describe her utter lack of, uh, ability, I guess, to cope with having a blind child in her classroom. Yeah. Maybe preparedness, maybe. Yeah. yeah. It it became obvious pretty quickly that rural eastern Arkansas in the early 1970s wasn't ready to provide an equal and adequate education to a blind child. And at that point, my parents made the decision to send me to the Arkansas School for the Blind in Little Rock, where I stayed for a number of years. How far uh, from um, from the school was that? It was about it, about ninety miles. Okay, so um, you had to go every day. I went. I lived there during the week. I came home on weekends. Uh, a lot of the time, I took buses back and forth. I became uh, equated with Greyhound buses early on in my life. I think that was probably important later on uh, because traveling never bothered me. But you were um, you were very young at the time. <clears throat> I was very young. So who was living uh, with you? Was, was the that, 70s. Uh, we were all, you know, we were all nuts in the so, 70s. So uh, who was living with you? Were you in a uh, boarding school? Uh, people were taking care I was. of you? Oh, you were, okay. I was. I was in a, I was in a, 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 a residential setting with, with, with other kids. And how many years? I stayed there through my 10th grade year, which was a little longer than would have been, would have happened except for there was an opportunity there to learn how to tune pianos. Uh, bear with me. This does have a logical uh, ending. My parent, my, uh, my siblings all worked when they were in high school. And my parents wanted me to be able to work when I was in high school. And I stayed at the School for the Blind a couple of extra years to be able to learn how to tune pianos so that I would have a skill that would always be there and so that I would have a job in high school and be able to pay for things like, you know, dates and everything else that teenagers want to pay for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, otherwise I would have left right at the beginning of high school. Um, but as it was, I left after my 10th grade year and promptly had business cards printed up that said perfect pitch tuning and tuned pianos while my friends worked at McDonald's. Good. I made more money than them and I didn't have to sweat as much. Good. The um, the years that you spend in uh, in the um, uh, the um, uh, school for the blind uh, did uh, that follow your grade the general grade level from uh, uh, right before high school uh, in general, right? Yes. Did and you I go back? Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, did you go back to uh, that original um, elementary school to finish uh, before before heading to uh, to uh, high school or? Uh, you just went to high school right right after um, the uh, the school for the blind. No, no, no. I went to high school right after the school for the blind. We, okay. we had, and this is a bit of a different scenario now than you would have in modern and and yeah current schools for the blind. But the the education was a quality education. Um, I I have no complaints about my my academic background. Uh, if anything, the only problem was that resources were too easy to get so that one of the things I had to learn when I went to my local high school was how to s- scrap and fight to get books and materials that I was going to need because, yeah. you know, and, and they had just been there before. So that was kind of a, a, a reality check. So resource wise, um, what uh, kind of technology or resource were offered to you both in uh, uh, the uh, elementary school 
uh, as a uh, member of the, uh, as a student of the um, uh, School for the Blind and uh, in high school, what were offered to you? This is basically that spanned from the uh, mid, uh, I would say early to mid 70s, all the way to the 80s, right? Yeah. So and what did they offer we, uh, you? Oh, go ahead. The Perkins Brailler was the king. Uh, the old mechanical brailler, the steel thing that'll last forever. I've still got my Perkins brailler that I used when I was a, a kid. It's, mm -hmm. So it's over 50 years old now. Uh, at a certain point, I was also introduced to the Slate and Stylus, which I vastly prefer to a Perkins brailler. I don't like the noise of the brailler. And to me, uh, and I might be one of the only people on on earth that yes. feels this way, but I I feel that when I write on a slate, it's a more intimate experience. Uh, I'm actually writing something instead of just pushing keys, and I I enjoy it. I like that interaction with the paper. That is so the I first have a, uh, quite a selection the, of slates. That, that that is the first sign of you being crazy. So you, I told you that uh, <laughs> there's something going on. Uh, when I learn uh, when I learned Braille, I started with the um, the slate, and of course the all the teaching you know going through each of the character uh, in uh, good order. And then the first thing that uh, they ask you to do is to use a slate where you have to uh, basically punch in reverse. So all yeah. the uh, all the, the the character that you learn to recognize, you have to type them in reverse. And this is you not do. something that you do when you use a typewriter. No. So again, you but... are that's that's a good example for our listener to try to figure out um, how crazy you are. But that's that's already <laughs> a good hint. Um, I got so... really good, man. When I was uh, in well, high I know. School. And for, when I was in high school, I could write as fast as an, a, a sighted kid could write, you know, handwrite. And I uh, use that bad boy for notes in classes. And a stylus is great against bullies. Yeah. I'm telling you, this is you look like a, <laughs> <laughs> great. Yeah. So um, let's, uh, let's focus just on all the time that you had all the way to uh, high school. Uh, did you have any extracurriculum activities or you were just... Um, encouraged to, um, to live with other kids, you said, and, uh, or act like them or do everything that other one wanted, uh, wanted to do with you? I wrestled. Uh, I wrestled from third through 10th grade. Uh, I was terrible the first couple of years and then got to where I was probably average or above. Uh, and I ran track for a couple of years, which is hysterical because I'm a lousy runner, at least when it comes to speed. What I need is distance. And there, there weren't races that were long enough for me to be able to wear someone else out and track. But I did it to keep in shape for wrestling. So wrestling um, and uh, track and field. Wrestling is a contact sport, so I can, only, I can imagine it that is. it's not the most complicated uh, thing when you, uh, when you don't see. Uh, track and field, uh, you're going to have to explain to me quickly how uh, you stay on your lane when you run. We, we we would run uh, tethered to a, a, a visual person. So you'd, oh, be, okay. you'd be tethered at the wrist and you would. Um, and at that point, I could see the lanes a little bit. I couldn't see them well enough for a race. But if I was just like jogging around a track at that point, I could stay in a, I could stay in a lane. All right. Perfect. I have a quick question regarding your siblings. Um, how did they uh, play with you? How did they uh, deal with your uh, your need? Uh, were they trained? My or educated uh, on it uh, as uh, with your with your parents? Uh, did, were they followed by specialists to tell them what you need to do and anything like that? How did they include you in their activities? I, I, I think to be really blunt about it, my siblings didn't give a damn if I could see or not. They, I was treated as another kid. My brother would devise ways to try to play football. I can't tell you how many footballs he threw at me to see if I could catch them and, and uh, usually not successfully. Yeah. Um, we, uh, my, my siblings knew that I couldn't see, but they were brought up and I was very lucky in this respect that my parents never made it the central focus. It was, I, I was a kid who was blind and not a blind kid. And there's a huge difference in those two. Yeah. Um, you know, I was allowed to, I was encouraged to climb trees and you know, we played chase. And if I hit something when I was playing chase and I needed to be a little more careful next time and pay more attention to my surroundings and maybe not whack things. Uh, so I, I, my parents let me get, they let me bleed. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 you know, and uh, I, I took that to heart. And when, when I had a son who's perfectly visual, I, I strongly encouraged 
you know, I, I strongly encourage blood when he was growing up. It's good for you. Were you, uh, <laughs> were you having a cane uh, when you were younger or not yet? I, I got a cane when I was in probably second, third, fourth grade, somewhere okay. in there. Okay. Um, did like a lot of kids and fought it and then realized that it was an invaluable resource. Yeah, same uh, with me. I, I still hate yeah. it, but when you go to a mall yep. field with people, you feel like Moses with the, uh, the, 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 the ocean opening in front of you. Yes, yes. There are times I feel, I, I, I feel like I should have like a megaphone. Thou shalt move. Uh-huh. So <laughs> as, far, as far as you're telling me right now, you were a normal kid doing normal activities. Well, of course you were, you know, blind, but uh, you, you had the tool uh, available at the time to, uh, to get you there. Um, all the way to high school, and then um, you went to um, college, but you tried twice, a different way, I, right? I, I, I took several runs at college, and in fairness, I wasn't much interested in college when I finished high school. I was exhausted, I re- but there aren't a lot of options for you when to, to, to just take a year out. I didn't want to tune pianos and, every day and have to survive off of it, and my parents really wanted me to go to go to school and I knew ultimately I needed to be there and I ended up at a little college about 120 miles from our house I really wanted to go out of state I had I felt like I had the grades to go to to go ivy or something close to it and I figured if I was going to go to school I was going to I was going to shoot as high as I could Uh and my folks really weren't into that and so we came to this arrangement by which I would go to, I went to school, this little liberal arts school in Arkansas for a year. And at the end of that year, with no explanation and no right on their part to argue, I could drop out as long as I had a plan for what came next. Okay. And so and at the end of next? that year, okay. I, I dropped out. And what came next was moving to Reykjavik, Iceland and tuning pianos for several months while I All figured right, so, out what I was going to do with my life. So at this stage, our, <laughs> lis- our listener can keep track. This is uh, keep track. This is a second strike of you being crazy. <laughs> um, but uh, let's move on. You know, at, at this stage, it's becoming less and less surprising of what you're trying to do next, uh, next year. So you, um, you went there and then you came back and you went back to yeah. school, right? I did. I came back and I'd never been in New York City before. And I landed in New York and I got to stay there for a little bit of time. And I toured New York University, or actually I toured one part of one building at New York University. And it's in it's right off of Washington Square Park in Greenwich Village. And you've got people that are playing chess and playing guitars and doing taking various illicit substances and it was just like this is my kind of place this is where i'm gonna this is where i want to go to school and i ended up uh moving to new york by greyhound and going to new york university where i promptly ran out of money and ended up getting a job uh a full-time job working as a desk person in one of their residence halls and i worked from midnight to eight every night and i went to school in the daytime and i lived in a little apartment in new jersey and when i look back on it it was an extraordinarily good period of 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 my life what uh what degree were you working uh working on (laughs) my undergrad degree is in russian and it's in russian history and radio and my master's degree is in higher education administration. All right. I can see again a trend there. Um, uh, for what it's worth, and I'm, I'm very proud of this fact, my undergrad degree is actually a Bachelor of Fine Arts because I did finish the Russian history part first and then did the, the radio bit. And the only way to combine them was to go to the schools of fine arts. And I've never cr- come across another degree quite like it. So I think it's probably a one of a kind undergrad degree oh this, this might be a great resume you must have <laughs> i mean just just sending it away that uh, people would just wonder we need to interview that dude we need to have a little bit more about that <laughs> so uh you were treated uh, as any uh, normal um student at that time because you were, at that time we were what in the 90s already yeah i was we had we had a center for students with disabilities I okay. had been able to get a, vers- a, a Versa Braille, which was the first, a, a, it was actually Versa Braille 2. Um, which is, had, you're going to, you're going to explain what it is. 
it is a refreshable braille display that was came in at about 15 pounds oh shit you uh it was very portable it had 32k of memory so you could put about 30 pages of braille in it at one time any more than that you plugged it into a floppy disk drive and you swapped information back and forth uh with floppy disks so for those i used the heck out of that thing for those who don't uh, own a um a braille display a refreshable braille display uh, 15 pounds is probably 10 times what it is, uh, what the weight is right now. So when uh, Dave oh. is talking about a portable, he's joking. Uh, oh, yeah. And- I mean, it's oh, but it was for the time period. You could put that thing in. You could strap that thing to your back. Oh, yeah. Had for a the, couple for hours of battery life. And it was it was revolutionary. Oh, yeah. For the time. Um, for the time. Yeah. 15 pounds was for the time was great. Yeah, but yeah, now, yeah, it really was. Now they're a little lighter, but yeah, it was. Uh, they're, they're actually very good. So uh, all your uh, book for um, school, how did you get them? Um, did you have a department in uh, at your university that was scanning them? Do you have a braille version? Someone was reading them to you? Ooh, boy, it was different for every book. We I had some books that were audio books that I got from Recordings for the Blind. Uh, I had readers who read some of my books. Uh, okay. NYU had an old, one of the, a Kurzweil reading machine, which was a, a scan and read system where I scanned some of my books. Um, I sometimes had classmates read to me from books. Um, I would do anything that I had to, to, okay. to get books. And so it was, it was very hodgepodge. I can imagine. You had your degree and your master at what age and uh, at uh, what time? I finished my master's degree. I was now keep, keep in mind that I, I once I got a full time job at NYU, I, I was going to school part time. Sure. So I was what, 25, 26 when I finished my master's somewhere okay. in there. OK. And so at that stage, it's pretty much working uh, during the night and studying during the day. So you it pretty was much... now. now now, in grad school, I got a, a, a grad internship so that my life was a little bit saner. But yes, during undergrad, I worked from midnight to eight, and then I'd go to school in the daytime. So this is pretty much um, the um, traditional student life at that stage. Uh, but I'm glad you're talking about tuition. How did, uh, did that go? Did you apply for grants? I, uh, when I was in my undergrad, once I got the, the full-time job there, I had tuition remission up to half uh, for what was it like eight, nine credits a semester. So that's how many I would take at a okay. time. And then I would try to fill in over the summertime. Okay. Um, and so I was basically living, you know, at, at that point I was, you know, I was getting paid. I was paying rent. Um, I was working for my tuition and uh, I, I, I was pretty much running my own show. All right. Uh, as far as, and I, I, I understand that you, <clears throat> you travel pretty much everywhere, but when you went back to New York, um, before you enrolled for um, New York University, NYU, uh, did you have anyone uh, with you? Because discovering a, a, a small town is one thing. <laughs> discovering a big town where you don't see anything it must be something else. The short answer is no. The more complicated answer is my mom did have a friend who lived in New York that I oh, knew I, I could get in touch with if the world got, you know, really out of hand. And one of the few times in my life that services for the blind really came through for me was in Arkansas, the head of services for the blind got an orientation and mobility instructor for me. When I moved to New York, he basically told me I was going to need someone to show me around and that it was an investment that he, uh, that it was worthwhile for, for that office to make, even though I wasn't staying in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And so I had orientation and mobility training for about 20 hours after I moved to New York and I had a fabulous instructor. Um, and you combine that with the fact that I don't mind just wandering around and it, it worked out very well. Perfect. So now uh, let's go back to our chronology. Um, you are out of school. You have a master. Um, in yeah. education, so I'm thinking you're going to uh, to look for a job that is related to your master. Is this what happened? I did. I worked as an I 
I'm, as far as I know, the only totally blind person who's ever been a residence hall director, um, which means that you're running buildings. I had buildings of anywhere from 350 to 700 hormonally challenged freshmen and sophomores uh, in Salem, Massachusetts, and then in Washington, D.C. And as a hall director, you're, you do everything from the budgeting of the building, uh, facilities. I learned a whole lot about things like plumbing and pipes that I never thought I would know before. Uh, you end up doing, you know, the, the student discipline, uh, doing programs for your students, uh, and you don't get a lot of sleep. And so after about four years of this, I, uh, needed to do something else. And in the process of applying for jobs, I was living outside of Washington, DC. I came across a little assistive technology group that had made a Windows tutorial for Windows 95. We were, we were revolutionary. Um, yeah. And I, they were looking for a sales person to try to sell this thing. I had zero background in sales, so it seemed like the perfect opportunity. Um, for you, I, maybe. Yeah, for them, it's kind of a, 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 yeah, a chance. Yeah. You, you know, it's, it, 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 I, I viewed it as, and I view it now, as the fact that I was able to talk myself into that position, uh, proving that I was good for that position. Um, you know, if I can sell myself on into a job where I have no experience, then I can sell someone something else. Yeah. And it worked out. It worked out very well. Okay. Uh, uh, let's, and, uh, let's uh, hold on a second. Let's go back to your, yeah. um, the time where you were um, um, in the, um, um, the, the previous job you had, I forgot the, the exact yeah, yeah, title. Yeah. The, 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 the residence hall director. Book. Yes. Yeah. Was there, what was, was there any um, uh, difficult time, um, to to get you, um, I would say, your power um, uh, established with the condition that you had because that is pretty interesting yes. to have that many people under your thumb uh, without you know being pejorative. But on top of that, no, uh, no, no. with a lot of people that don't really don't understand what blindness is. My first year as a hall director was probably the absolute worst year of my life. Okay, and it was in part because I I, I was frankly, trying to be too nice and too accommodating. And I was perceived as weak. And I got run over by kids from gangs in inner city Boston, not literally run over, but figuratively, yeah. who were able to sense that this person was was weak, and they could stomp all over you. My I learned a lot. And my second year, I was still a nice guy, but I was also a hard ass. And I was much tougher in the beginning with what I would tolerate and what I wouldn't tolerate. Uh, if staff members didn't do what I wanted or needed them to do, I fired them. And I set a, pre a precedent early on that I was not someone to be toyed with. And it was a much better year. And it's um, also, it also gives you a lot more uh, tools for your, uh, the job afterwards. It, yes. And so I, I learned the hard way that, you know, you, you really, that, that first year was terrible. I, yeah. I could go into all the reasons that it was terrible, but we'd be here for a long time. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, but it, it was pretty astounding. So you went, <laughs> you went into sales uh, at a second job and did. uh, you, didn't, uh, you didn't stick to sale. You went somewhere else after that, right? Well, I, I traveled around over the next, you know, the next couple of few decades I've worked for, I was recruited from the first little company I was with to work at uh, Freedom Scientific. Um, I've worked for, those, for other. Hold on, Dave. Hold on yeah. a second. For, for for those who don't know Freedom Scientific, it's actually right now probably the main player for accessibility tools in uh, Windows computer. They do they Zoom. Are. They do Fusion. They do a lot of things, and they're very well known right now. Uh, it's, a, it's expensive equipment, expensive software, but they're 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 very well known now. Sorry, you can go ahead. Continue. Well, and I worked for uh, another major player called Humanware, who does a lot of hardware, braille displays, uh, video magnifiers. Yeah, I, I, I moved around a decent amount. I probably proved over my career that I don't have a huge attention span. I would get bored and sort of move on and do something else. Uh, yeah. And but I, I, I was profoundly lucky, I guess, in that I'm, I was good at what I was doing. 
Um, and I, I, I got to travel a lot. I got to see a lot of the, the country and in some cases, a lot of the world uh, doing this before, uh, b- before I ended up just getting off the road. Okay. And then you landed that job eventually to, uh, uh, with uh, Hilton as an accessibility specialist on their, um, their website. I did. And again, a job I was grossly underqualified for, but they were interested in me because when I've traveled over the years, I stayed in Hilton brand hotels because they had treadmills with tactile buttons. And I didn't care if they had me sleep on a slab of cement. I wanted those tactile buttons on the treadmill at the end of my day working with groups of people. I needed a way to blow off steam and I would go run. So, and so when I, I met the director of digital accessibility by sheer chance for Hilton yeah. and blurted out that I loved their treadmills, that led to a series of conversations which led to a job offer. The fact that you were working for an uh, accessibility company probably helped also. It probably did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, at, so now we are looking uh, at a grown-up uh, a guy. You're not a student anymore. Now you're building your life. You are... Uh, uh, starting to have your home, you get married, you have kids, um, or at least a kid. Um, yeah. So it's on on the side. It's become a little bit hectic uh, beside your job. On the side, it's it's hectic, but it's it's good hectic and it's traditional hectic. You have to work to pay your bill. You have to pay your taxes. You have to be to raise a family, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, how was your uh, personal life outside of work? Were you uh, in good shape? Were you um, uh, active or anything like that? And for years, my life was a wreck outside of work. I was, uh, I, I, when I was in college, I smoked, I drank too much. I ultimately ended up, have, uh, it, it became very obvious at, at, at some point that I had serious problems with alcohol. Okay. Um, I, uh, you know, there, there are years that are just kind of a haze. Um, and I didn't spend a lot of time working out. Uh, when I was in college or really until I was about to turn 30. And then something happened. I, I was introduced to the sport of cross-country skiing. Mm-hmm. And if I, I was offered a chance to go skiing, and if I was going to go skiing, I needed to be in shape. If I was going to be in shape, I needed to have a plan to work out. And so I started trying to get myself back into a little bit of uh, better conditioning. Mm-hmm. And when I went skiing, cross-country skiing is a magical sport. Uh, you you're gliding across the the snow and you your your whole body gets involved. You can feel the terrain under your feet. You you get to where you can feel where you are in relationship to your surroundings, the ground, etc. And it's it's just it's an amazing sport. And at that point, something flipped, and it was just like this is this is good and this is fun. And uh, I was a very active cross country skier for a number of years. And when I when I left parts of the country that uh, where where I ended up moving back to back to the southern U.S. for a while, which isn't known for its snow. No. And so I took up so I took up running. Okay. Um, and, so you know, and, but uh, skiing is still skiing is still the bomb, man. It is it is the sport. So let's go back to <laughs> let's go back very quickly on the cross country. Um, my idea of cross country is, is the basic. I mean, the basic of cross country for me is, uh, you know, those very thin uh, skis with the the heel that is detached, and then you follow a yep. track on the floor. Yep. That uh, unless yep. some uh, douchebag are coming here and destroying it in front of you, should be there all the time, right? That is correct. Although yes. I also became a good skater. Uh, okay. On, oh, okay. on skis, I, 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 I would, I used skate skis, and I was a good enough cross country skier that I can do some backcountry skiing without the tracks. Okay, perfect. Um, but oh. ideally, you know, you have those groomed trails, and you can follow the tracks, and you can feel with your skis where the trail is going to go. Yeah, that 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 makes things um, a, a little a little better to handle. You were on your own, or you had someone with you. I always had a, had a guide who I would like to have up in front of me, um, and I would try to follow the moving blob on the snow. Um, when I was racing, uh, which I did for a while, not on any super serious level, but at least you know you'd go out, you'd sign up for like 10Ks and stuff. 
I would hook my guide up with this awful little microphone and speaker that I picked up at Radio Shack. And I couldn't understand a damn thing they said, but you just follow the god awful distorted noises. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, it, and it's it 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 was you know, you can build up some speed uh, cross country skiing. We 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 hit forty miles an hour at different points on on skis. If you get a good downhill stretch, um, and you, you also you, have you can uh... do some damage. You also have someone in front of you to uh, to to to, uh, to catch you if you're going too fast, and you just you know, it's their problem, I... not yours anymore. <laughs> Most of the people I skied with were going to jump out of the way. Uh-huh. <laughs> so when you uh, um, this, like you said, there was a flip, there was a switch that you flip at that time. Uh, I really would like to talk about your running uh, habits, but I'm going to keep that for a special episode. We're going to run two weeks from now. Uh, because I'm planning on going back to my uh, marathon days and uh, I would like to have a special episode talking about how to run as a blind person, uh, which I think is the most challenging thing, probably with swimming. We'll talk about that too, uh, yeah. if you don't mind. Um, we're going to, uh, uh, to move uh, to a critical stage of your life um, in the 2017 when something happened. At this stage, you know, you... You were married, you had a kid, you, uh, you were pretty active, and then 2017, something happened. Can you tell us about that? Right before Christmas, on a perfectly gorgeous day, doing a local appointment in a job where I'd been, on, I'd been traveling for about 40 weeks uh, that year, I was, I was working for the company I was working with, and I had a rare appointment that was going to be local. I was going to be home in time for dinner. And the car I was in was hit by a, a car that had swerved across the highway. The guy had gone to sleep at the wheel. My driver veered at the last second or we would have been hit head on. The accident ended up totaling four cars. Um, everyone came out of it relatively unscathed except for me. And I fractured two vertebrae in my neck and injured two more. And... Uh, was pretty immobile for for a while um so the, you ended up at the so hospital for shock. how long i wasn't in the hospital for super long i was only in the hospital a few days but i was okay. pretty immobile for uh you know a couple months you're wearing one of those little neck collars and you you know and you're and you're you're looped out on painkillers and you, you know you if you drop something someone else has to pick the thing up for you it was a very humbling experience and not one that I particularly enjoyed. Uh, on the job side, you were um, on disability at that stage? I was not. I had a lot of, uh, I had a lot of time that I was owed. Um, and I would continue to attempt to work. I was trying to do the, videos for a project for a product called the BrailleSense Polaris that was made by uh, Hems Incorporated out of Korea. And I was trying to operate the thing one handed and do like screenshots and recordings. And they were very patient with me. But it, uh, I did not do a lot of productive work over those those couple of months. And from and the it uh, was, go ahead. It was it was it was obvious to me that I needed to find something to get off the road. Travel was going to be very painful. I wasn't going to be able to carry things like I used to. Um, you know, I was going to have to start shipping things ahead of time and just doing a lot more. I was going to have to change up the whole way that I was doing my job. And my wife took it as an opportunity to drill in the fact that it might be nice if I was actually home every now and then. And so I started looking for something that wasn't going to have me traveling quite so much. How, um, what the doctor uh, told you, was that going to be something that uh, was going to leave you with some residual um, uh, pain or this is something that will subside after some rehabilitation or anything like that? The answer is sort of yes to all of the above. Okay. I, have, I have some nerve damage in my right hand that is permanent um, that affects... My, my reading finger, I had my primary reading finger for Braille, and I had to re almost relearn how to read after that. After that, my upper body is a mess. Um, I, I, it can be painful at times. There's not a whole lot you can do about it. It's just mm -hmm. a mess. And so it's going to hurt if you don't do something. 
and it's going to hurt if I do something. So I figure I may as well do something. All right. Um, and, and, and as far as um, <laughs> uh, physical activity, this was pretty much uh, for a few months. The, 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 you just put a cross on it. This was I not was, going to happen. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was just shut down. Yeah. Um, and then uh, another flip, another switch uh, flipped. It did. It did. I had always irrationally viewed myself as invincible. I, I, I had skied into trees in the past and survived. Um, I'd been able to figure out how to tame hormonally challenged students. I'd been able to pretty much do whatever I wanted to do or find a way to do it. And now I couldn't put a shirt on and it really made me mad. Uh, I didn't like being helpless. I didn't like having to rely on someone to help me button up a shirt or pick something up off the floor. I didn't like drinking through a straw. Um, I didn't react very well to, to, to having limitations put on me. And I started to try to figure out a way that I could prove once I started to heal up that I was seriously back. And uh, it took a while to, to and again, what, what happens with me is I wait for the, the switch to flip. And when that switch flips, it's like, okay, this is what we're doing. And I was sitting in Toronto at dinner with people I didn't know and a blind lady who was about my age, we were talking about different marathons and stuff we had done. And I'd done probably 30 some odd marathons at that point. And she said that she had just completed an Ironman. And I thought, well, uh, hell, you, she can do an Ironman. An Ironman, you, yeah, for, for those of you who don't know what one is, it is a go. triathlon. You swim 2.4 miles. You bike 112 miles and then you complete a full marathon, which is 26.2 miles and you do it in under 17 hours. All right. Um, and that seems like a perfectly horrible thing to do. And so I'm like, that's it. That's what, right. that's what I'm going to do. I'm going <laughs> to sign me up. Uh, again, <laughs> again, this is, this, this is perfect with uh, what I'm trying to get our listener to, to figure out that there is a, uh, a pattern there uh, with you. That uh, wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't shouldn't surprise anybody for what you're trying to do next year. Uh, there's a progression in craziness also, and uh, it and it's awesome. I, uh, I I love the way you get back on your on your feet. I have, uh, however, a few questions um, with the the whole being angry at. Um, yeah, the experience that you had when uh, you became um, physically disabled. Not I'm not talking about blindness. It's more right. For me, blindness is more psychological uh, than uh, than physical, to be honest, because it's how you deal with it that that make it a disability. Uh, right. But uh, when you had that, when, when you were immobilized because of your injury, um, it it feels from what you're saying that you uh, probably regressed a little bit to the, the 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 feeling that most of the people like me who became blind later in their life uh, experience, like you lose your independence. Um, yeah, you need a lot more people to help you and uh, to basically do the the simplest thing to the most humbling and humiliating thing sometimes. So I wonder yeah. if this is the whole idea behind behind you being angry. You never with you, you never um, experienced that before, and it was the first time that it just hit you in the face. It it really did, and I I think and that this is unfair, but it's the way that I viewed it. I took it very personally. I was mad that this happened to me. Um, I I was in better shape than this. And if I was going to get, and I was mad that it was a car crash, if I was going to get hurt, it should have been doing something athletic. It should have been doing something cool. Mm-hmm. Um, it shouldn't be getting hit by some dumbass who was zonked out of their brains and asleep at the wheel. And that, yeah. that made me mad. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, you know... <laughs> It, 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 and that's the only way I know how to describe it. It was just like, this is not, this is not how I'm going to go down. Yeah, this is something that is, um, for me, I found that very interesting because the way you're thinking right now uh, looks a lot like the way um, I'm thinking uh, at this stage. There's, there's a moment of hopelessness and then there's a moment of really um, uh, uh, rage, you know, extreme anger. Yeah. Not only, you know, against, you know, why that happened to you, uh, or what that happened to me, and then you take a little while 
to uh, to get things into control and then uh, something come up out of nowhere. Maybe you meet the right person or you're in the right mood or the right place. And then all of a sudden you try to figure out, okay, maybe maybe there is there is a way out of this uh, and to to try to get back to uh, uh, something that I used to do and that um, and, and I, can, I cannot do anymore. So I can totally understand how many... Uh, how long uh, was that between your hospitalization, your accident, and the moment when you did your um, uh, your first uh, competition? I uh, there are two answers to that question. I did a marathon. It, it, I, we put this in air quotes. About twelve weeks after the accident, I don't remember it. I was looped out on Vicodin. We okay. walked most of it. I was barely upright, but we were able. But it was like. I'm going to do this and I don't care what the time is. Um, my, my marathon guide, since we were going so slowly, took the opportunity to stop at all these unofficial beer stops. So as uh-huh. we're going along, I'm looped out on Vicodin. He's drinking beer. Um, it was, I'm sure it was a mess. Um, it was probably a little early, I think. <laughs> so, but if you don't count that marathon, it was some, it was, it was a while before I was really back competing and I had no business competing in that marathon. It hurt. I, I ran the risk of falling, which could have done some serious damage. And I just didn't care. It yeah. was just like, this is, this is, I, you, you, I'm going to, I'm going to fight back. All um, right. I didn't do an, my first Ironman wasn't until 2019. So that would have been two years. almost two years. Yeah. yeah. All right, so um, this is going to be a little brutal right now, but um, <laughs> I, I and I have no way around to say it, but I um, I think we're going to uh, put uh, an end to that first part of the interview uh, because right, there is a really, really a lot of questions that I have uh, regarding your, um, well, triathlon, basically, uh, how to do it, uh, how you did it. Uh, we talked a little bit. You had no clue about swimming until, well, you had to learn. That also yeah. some, uh, that needs some uh, some uh, explanation, and I think it's better uh, to dedicate an entire second episode next week uh, dedicated to that, if you don't mind. Absolutely, that would be. In fine. the meantime, uh, a lot of people will probably want to know a little bit more about you. They know you're crazy, but they don't know everything about you. So maybe you can <laughs> share with us uh, a way to join you or to contact you. I know you're not on Twitter, but you have a website and you are active on uh, Facebook. I am. My website is speedyturtle.net. So that's the the two words, just speedy, S-P-E-E-D-Y, turtle.net. You can email me at dave at speedyturtle.net. And there's a link on my website, or you can look up Speedy Turtle Races Across America. And we have a Facebook group. And the reason it's Speedy Turtle is that this is how you feel midway or towards the end of a long competition you start to you're, you're sort of grinding it out and you're speedy for a turtle yeah um and it just sort of goes from there you also have a website uh, uh about your uh, what you're trying to do next week next year i do speedyturtle.net has all of the details on what we're doing uh talks about my tandem captain a gentleman named jim trout who is a legendary cyclist in his own right uh, who's done this race three times as a solo project. Uh, and so it goes, into, it, it goes into a lot more detail about what we're up to. Okay. All right. I will uh, share all those information on Twitter since you're not there. Um, and then I'll share the same information on, uh, on uh, our website. And then uh, we'll go from there. Thank you so much for uh, uh, giving us some time uh, today. And we had some technical uh, difficulty uh, for those who are listening right now yesterday. So this is basically a second take. So thank you very much, Dave, for your time. Um, Absolutely. And I, and I know you're very busy with the, your uh, your son getting married next week, but we'll find some time to get the second part uh, this coming week and uh, and get that episode out. Thank you so much for your time. And, uh, well, we'll, uh, we'll reconnect sometime next week. We'll do it. Thank you. All right, let's take a quick break and then we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk about news and um, a few information on our website. Well, that's it for this week's episode. This is a wrap. Um, I hope you enjoyed that first part of uh, our interview with Dale Wilkinson. 
I hope you learned a lot about him. For me, it sounds very, very natural to move on from a few crazy and exceptional things in his uh, life uh, to something even crazier next year with this 3,000 mile journey across the country. Next week, we are uh, having a second part uh, interview uh, with uh, Dave Wilkinson. We are going to talk about his training and the logistic hiding behind uh, the scene. Uh, and everything that he has to do in order to get this journey a reality. I'm hoping we're going to be able to share a few tips with uh, some of you guys who would like to do the same. Uh, maybe not 3,000 miles, but you know what I mean, a few miles on a tandem bike, and we'll try to show you um, how easy it is when you're well prepared. In the meantime, if you want to contact Dave, you can either use, uh, well, basically the information he gave us at the end of the episode, or you can contact us directly at blindsanitypodcast at gmail.com, blindsanitypodcast at gmail.com. You can also go on Twitter at blindsanitypod or go on our website, www.blindsanity.com and click on the Contact Us link. That's it for now. Have a good week and I'll see you next week.